Well, we're turning tonight to 1 Kings and the chapter 13. 1 Kings, chapter 13. Last week we uh, looked at the first part of this chapter and we considered the man Jeroboam. We thought of how the Lord came to this king with a message from a prophet and a miraculous miracle happened upon his hand. It was withered and then it was restored. And this man Jeroboam was completely unaffected. Well this week I want us to look at another character in this chapter. I want us to look at the man of God. And we'll read from the verse 11. First Kings 13 verse 11. <clears throat> Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done in the day, that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king. Them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me, and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread, nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. He said unto him, I am a prophet also, as thou art. And an angel speak unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him, and did eat bread in his house, and drank water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread, and drunk water in the place of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread, and drink no water, thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread, and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass, to wit, for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way, and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way. And the lion standing by the carcass, and they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Amen. Well, let us unite our hearts together 
in prayer. Almighty God, we thank thee once again for the great opportunity we have, not just of meeting one with another, but of meeting with thee. For thou art our God, we take thee to be ours. Thou hast revealed thyself unto us. Thou hast given us the gift of faith and repentance. Thou hast sent thy spirit to quicken us and regenerate us and make us new creatures in Christ. And Father, we thank thee that one of the marks of a convert, one of the marks of a child of God, is their desire to be under the sound of thy word and around thy throne in prayer. And Father, we do ask as we come to thee tonight for a very real sense of thy presence. We pray that thou will come and lay liberally to each of our souls. Speak to us, Lord, through thy word. Give us utterance in prayer that we would know what it is to intercede with thee and to commune with thee tonight. We need thee to come, O God. We need thy spirit to speak to us. We need to be led by thee and instructed by thee. Come to each of our hearts tonight with power. We thank thee for the cross. And we thank thee for the Saviour who was nailed there, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. We thank thee that the chastisement of our peace was upon him and that by his stripes we are healed. And as we come to thee tonight, we pray that thou will pardon all our sins. Lord, we confess, even this very hour, we have committed enough sins to damn our souls in hell. But we thank thee for the blood of Christ. And we thank thee for the power of that blood that is able to atone for all our sin. And Lord, we ask thee for thy spirit to sanctify us tonight. We pray that we would be stripped of everything that's of the flesh, that our minds would not be contaminated with thoughts of the world, but that we would be shut in with thee tonight. Come, we pray. Remember us here, and remember those who can't be here. We think of those tonight, Lord, and they're laid aside. We think especially of George, and how he needs that touch from thee. We pray that thy grace will be sufficient for him, in this his hour of need. Remember the family too as they tend to him. May they know great grace even upon their own souls. And may thou grant even in this time of sorrow. The joy of the Lord. And beauty for ashes. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. <clears throat> well in First Kings chapter 13 here. We have the man of God, a prophet of God, sent to prophesy to King Jeroboam, who's king of the northern tribe of Israel. Now this man of God is given very clear instructions by the Lord. Go there, fulfill your duty, and then come back by a different way. Don't stop. And this prophet certainly exercises part of his duties faithfully. Before Jeroboam, he shows no fear. Before Jeroboam, he's able to stand up to this wicked king, tell him the message that God has for him, and then he leaves. But on his re return trip home, back to the land of Judah, he stopped by an old prophet. And this old prophet 
lies to the man of God and entices him away from his duty of returning to Judah without stopping. The old prophet, then as they're sitting around the dinner table, receives a word from the Lord and warns and rebukes the man of God for his disobedience. And then as the man of God leaves to travel back to Judah, he is killed by a lion. As we read on in the chapter, we will see that the old prophet gathers the body of the man of God and buries it in his own grave. Now we don't have the name of this man of God and we don't have the name of the old prophet. But the truth is their names aren't important. The record of their life is important. And in particular, their obedience and walk with God is what is in view for us here tonight. God gives this man of God very clear instructions. And for the most part, he listened and he obeyed God's voice. But then something happened in his life whenever he turned away from God and turned away from the instruction of God's word and God has to chastise him for his sin. Now you and I might think, well, surely this is a passage and it's only applicable to ministers. It's only applicable to church leaders. After all, this was a man of God, so therefore it only applies to the one who's preaching the word. But dear friend, we're told that all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. You see, there's lessons that we will learn from this man of God tonight that don't just apply to the preacher, they apply to the individual believer as well. Now I want to bring two points of application tonight as the Lord gives me help. You're a congregation without a pastor, without a minister. You need a man of God. And we're going to look tonight at some of the attributes of the man of God that you need for your pulpit But the second point of application tonight is here, the Christian that we need to be. And we're going to learn from the man of God here tonight about this important subject. So my title for this evening is The Man of God. And there's five things that I want us to look at tonight about this man of God. First of all, notice the duty that he had. Chapter 13, verse 1 gives the very simple statement, and behold, there came a man of God. Now that title itself teaches us something about this man. He's called a man of God. And the first thing we can note is that he is a man who has been chosen by God. This isn't a man who woke up one day and said, I'm going to be a man of God, and I'm going to go out and do great things for God, all of my own free will and all of my own volition. Dear friend, it doesn't work like that. We might have the best intentions. We might have the best heart. But the truth is, God calls men to serve him. And this man has been chosen from the tribe of Judah, which is the southern tribe, to go into the northern tribe with a message from God. God has clearly spoken to this man. He's clearly called this man and chosen him and given him a job to do. But not only has he chosen him, He separated him for this task. He's called him to leave his work. He has called him to leave his home, albeit temporarily. And he has called him to travel with a message from the Lord. So here is a man who's separated now onto the work of God. 
He's a man of God. We don't know what his career was before, but he's laid aside his tools. And he now has a new charge and a new duty. He's separated unto the gospel. And there's a distinction about him. There's something special about this man. It was noticeable as he walked uh, through into the northern kingdom that this was a man of God as he approached Jeroboam. Their uh, prophets in those days, they wore a mantle. There was something distinct about the man of God and there was certainly something distinct about him. He left a great impression upon the people of the northern tribe as he ministered the word of God to Jeroboam. People took a notice of him. Here's a man and he's not coming in the, in the flesh. Here's a man. He's not coming in his own strength. Here's a man who's evidently coming in the power of God. Because this was a man who knew God. You see you can't be a man or a woman of God unless you know the Lord. That sounds very basic. But it's something that's greatly overlooked today. The men and women of God are people who know God. People who have faith in God and that living relationship with him. And this man of God was clearly a man of faith. He was called by God to serve him. And that's what he did. And dear friend, as you look for a minister, this is the sort of man you need. A man who is called by God to minister the word. A man who is to be separated from his, his earthly work life and separated now onto the gospel. And there should be a distinction about the man that you're looking to be your minister. There should be a, a sense that this is a man who knows God, a man who has faith in God, and a man who evidently walks with God. That's what you need. You don't need a man just to come and fill the pulpit to pass the time. We should never have the attitude, better to have somebody than have nobody. No, dear friend, as you're looking out a man of God, you look out for these qualities. A man who's chosen by God to minister his word. A man who's separated unto the gospel. A man who has that evident walk with God in his life. But can I also say those are to be the duties of every believer. We're all to have that distinction about us. That we're men and women who walk with God. How sad it is maybe when we're in the workplace or, or we meet people and we've known them for some time and, and they turn around and say, I didn't know you were a Christian. Is that not like a dagger in our hearts? We've known them for weeks. We, 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 we sat beside them at work. We've had them round our house and, and they say, I didn't know you were a Christian. That should be, it should be one of the first things they see about us, that they know about us. That there's something different about us. We walk with God. But notice about the duty of this man of God. It says he came by the word of the Lord. He came by the word of the Lord. He didn't wake up one day and think that terrible rascal Jeroboam's doing terrible things in the northern tribe. I'm going to go and have a word with him. I'm going to go and speak to him. I'm going to go and clear, uh, get things off my chest and tell him he needs to behave. No, he didn't do it of his own accord. He came by the word of the Lord. He received clear instructions and he believed firmly that the word that he had burning in his heart was the word of God. And dear friends, that's what we need in our land today. We need men of God coming by the word of the Lord. 
We don't need men standing in pulpits full of their own ideas and full of their own notions. I know how I'm going to fill a church. I know what activities we need to do. We need a man of God in our pulpits today who's preaching the word of God, who has a message from God and nothing else. That's what this man of God had. He had a word of the Lord and he had nothing else because he didn't need anything else. And dear friend, if we're ever to see Orlando turned upside down with a gospel, it's not the gimmicks of coffee mornings. It's not the gimmicks of Christian golf tournaments. It's the word of God. It's said of the disciples, they went everywhere. Not holding coffee mornings. Not holding sports days. They went everywhere preaching the word. And that's the only thing that will change this place. A man of God coming by the word of the Lord. And for you and me, dear people today, we need to live by the word of the Lord. That is our duty. God's people are chosen, separated to serve him and to worship him. And we are maybe wondering, well, how do, how do I know how to get through life? How do I know what to do in this situation or that situation when trouble comes or temptation comes? We live by the word of the Lord. That's what we do. There's a little course we sing to the children how do we know what's wrong or right read it in the bible it's very simple and it's very true and that's how we are to know how to live as christians by the word of the lord second thing we can notice about this man of god tonight we thought of his duty think now of his diligence in verse 2 it says he cried against the altar in the word of the lord what a faithful man this altar is a symbol of apostasy. And Jeroboam is the one who has led the apostasy in this northern tribe. As this man of God goes and, and speaks to Jeroboam, there's a very real chance that his life could be taken. That Jeroboam could come and have his head cut off. But this is a man who's diligent in his service for God. He risks his life walking up to Jeroboam and bringing the word of God to him diligent I was told uh, some time ago about a woman who lives in Israel she's a believer her name is Ruth and her husband Albert was lying dying in a hospital in Israel and there was an Arab man in the next bed and he and his family were very hostile towards Ruth and Albert and sadly Albert died but Ruth had a burden upon her heart. I'm going to go back to that hospital and I'm going to see this Arab family that have been very hostile to me. And she overheard as she was approaching them that they had no money to pay for their uh, for the person's treatment. So Ruth went and brought 300 shekels and gave them to the Arab family. The Arab family were amazed. They were humbled. We've been so mean to you. We were terrible to you and your husband. And now you're giving us 300 shekels. Their attitude to Ruth changed instantly. She began to visit them regularly in the West Bank. And share the gospel with them. But as a widow. Ruth wondered how can I serve the Lord. How can I be of use to God. Well she felt a burden from the Lord. To go and reach out to those Arabs in the West Bank. Now if you know the littlest thing about Israel 
And the Palestinians, you'll know that this is a remarkable thing. Absolutely remarkable. So Ruth put on a headscarf. She crossed from Israel into the West Bank with one purpose upon her heart, to tell the Palestinians, to tell the Arabs about Jesus Christ, the only saviour of the world. And Ruth goes regularly into the West Bank to share the gospel, knowing full well that she may never, ever return. But she believes in the word of God and she believes in the power of the gospel. And for all the time she's been back and forward across the West Bank, the Lord has faithfully preserved her and he's given her an open door of utterance amongst the Arab people. Well, the Lord still works like this today. He did it for this man of God. He brought him into the presence of Jeroboam and he preserved his life. He did it with Ruth. Dear friend, he'll do it with us too. Sometimes we're maybe afraid to share the gospel. What if they laugh at me? What if they say no? There was a Christian person who took it upon themselves once they retired. I'm going to serve the Lord. So they got a bunch of tracts from the church. They went out one day and they started uh, putting tracts through doors. And then one person opened the door, came out and ripped the tract up and put it in the bin. Well, that person just gave up there and then. They said, this is awful. I've been rejected. I can't go on and do this anymore. Dear friend, we have to be diligent. We can't give up. Can you imagine... Peter and John give up the first time they were arrested. Where would we be today? All of the apostles except for John were martyred for their faith. Well in chapter 13 verse 7. This man of God is offered great riches from Jeroboam. So here he starts off having a great fear of death. No doubt as he's going to bring the word to Jeroboam. And now suddenly everything's changing. Instead of having that fear of death. He now has a temptation in front of him. The temptation of wealth. And that's a great temptation many people face isn't it. He went to Israel. He fulfilled his duty. He did what the Lord told him to. And now he's been offered money. He's maybe come from a poor family in Judah. He's maybe thought, well, I could really use that money. I could set my kids up for life, put them through college. I could give them a, a down payment on a, on a property. If I just took that money from Jeroboam, what a change I could make to my life. And of course, I'll give a little bit to the Lord just to satisfy my conscience so I, I don't feel too guilty about it either. But he was diligent whenever the time of temptation came. You see, it's very easy to compromise the gospel in exchange for riches in exchange for fame and even for material blessings in Judges chapter 17 we read of a Levite who left serving God to serve a man called Micah for ten shekels of silver and a suit of apparel he was a Levite he was to be a man of God But no, a better offer came along. And he left and served a false god. Gehazi was the servant of Elisha. 
And whenever Elisha wouldn't take the money of Naaman after he was cured of his leprosy, Gehazi chased after Naaman and took the money that his master wouldn't. You see, there's none of us who are above temptation. And I often think one of the ways that the devil seeks to deter men and women from faithfully being diligent to God is by putting the temptation of riches in front of them. There's a man I was very friendly with. He's passed into glory now. But I was around having lunch with him and his wife. And I was inquiring about his family. And he said that his son went to one of the greatest or one of the biggest reformed churches that there are in England. And there's not too many. But his son went along to this one in London. And his son was going on well with the Lord. He was actually a deacon in the church. And this church has over a thousand people. And his son was a deacon there. And I said, well, that, that's very good. And he said, but then something terrible happened in his life. He got a promotion. And with that promotion, he got an abundance of uh, money. He got a huge pay rise. But it meant he had to work more hours. So he spent less time with his family as he spent more hours working. And the marriage broke up. And then he had all this money and he didn't know what to do with it. So he took himself a few new hobbies. And he had no more time then to serve in the church. So he stopped going to church. And his father traced the breakup of his marriage. And the breakup of his relationship with God. All back to the time he got that promotion. And the pay rise that came with it. You see, dear friend, we have to be very diligent to keep our hearts and to keep our feet walking rightly before the Lord. This man of God, we commend him. He was faithful in the face of danger against Jeroboam. He was faithful whenever temptation and riches came before him. And that's what we need to be. We need to be diligent in the duty that the Lord has given us to do. And as you're looking for a man of God, you need a man who's diligent. And the tasks that God gives him to do. Not that I'm looking for another job, but it's, it's, it's always interesting whenever uh, uh, you're online and you see something, uh, job interview or job notice, uh, such a church is looking a minister. And it's always interesting to click on it to read. And I'm always amazed whenever I see job duties. They want a minister who can work PowerPoint. They want a minister who can lead a choir. They want a minister who can work an overhead projector, who can manage the church website, the Facebook website, the Twitter, a man who can coordinate uh, large trips and everything like that. And that's the bit I always find fascinating. Because the call of a minister is two duties. Continually to prayer in the ministry of the word. And dear friend, if you're looking at a man to do anything else, you're not calling a biblical minister. Because those are the only two things that you need your man of God to do. To pray and preach. That's all the, the biblical requirements of a gospel minister. And you know those are the hardest things to do. To give yourself to prayer. To give yourself to prayer and the preparation of the word. Oh, the devil can find many things to do to, to make you busy. You try to get down yourself to pray for a morning, dear friend, and you'll soon find you'll not be long on your knees before the devil saying, oh, you need to get up and do this. 
But this needs attended to. You can't spend all day here. But dear friend, the man of God has to spend all day there. He has to. But moving on quickly here. The man of God, we've thought of his duty. We've thought of his diligence. Notice thirdly, the man of God was deceived. Verse 18, this old prophet came to him and said, I am a prophet also as thou art. Now I'm not going into the subject tonight of whether this old prophet was a true prophet or not. I'll keep you in suspense for next week and we'll look at it then. But regardless of whether he was a true prophet or not, this man of God was deceived by his claims to be a prophet that he was. You see, the man of God had received a word from the Lord and it doesn't matter what anybody else is saying to him. He should be comforted enough and he should be stable enough on the word of God to know that I don't need to listen to anybody else. It doesn't matter what this man says. I have a word from the Lord. And there's so many Christians in the world today and they're led astray by men who are not faithful to the word of God. And we might read the Bible and say, well, the word of God says this, but my pastor says that, or this televangelist says that. He has so many people going to his church. He's broadcasting to millions throughout the world. Maybe I should just listen to him rather than what I read in the word of God. You see, dear friend, we only need the word of God. The word of God is to be the lamp onto our feet and to the light onto our path. This man of God was deceived by somebody who was saying something else than the word of God. And so many people today are deceived by others who are claiming to be prophets and preachers of God. And they never examine their credentials. Are they truly converted? Do they believe the Bible to be the word of God? Do they preach the gospel in its fullness? Do they rightly divide the word of truth? And do what they teach match up with my Bible? Verse 18, it says, An angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord. This old prophet claims to have had an, uh, an extra revelation from God that this man of God doesn't have. And the old prophet is saying, that The revelation that I've received from God is better than the revelation that you've received from God. So trust in my word and don't trust in the word that God has given you. And this man of God was deceived by this supernatural claim the prophet made. And there's many Christians today, and they're deceived by old prophets. There's many out there, and they claim to be modern-day apostles, claim to be prophets, visionaries, having these supernatural experiences. Turn on the TV channels, and you'll see men teaching their visions, their dreams, their revelations from God. But dear friend, we don't need any of that nonsense. We have the word of God. And that's all we need. I don't want to hear about a man's dreams and visions. I want to hear what the word of God says to me. I don't care what a man's babbling in tongues. I don't need to hear him. I want to hear what God's saying from his holy book. I don't need my emotions stirred up with heartwarming music. I need the word of God to come and overpower my soul. Convict me of sin. And lead me in paths of righteousness. Dear friend, don't be deceived today by all those who claim that they have these extra revelations outside of God's word. There's a man was talking to me some time ago and he says, uh, I've got a bit of a problem. 
my girlfriend's minister says that he's had a revelation from God that she should break up with me. And he says, I don't know what to do. I said, well, just ignore him. <laughs> I said, if God's going to give her a revelation about uh, her life, it'll be directly to her. It'll not come through a minister. And likewise, uh, you'll not get any revelation from God except from him directly yourself. I said, God doesn't give me a revelation for your life. He gives me revelations for my life through his word. And so the, he went to see this minister and chatted. And the minister says, look, I'm sorry. I, this is what the Lord has revealed to me. But anyway, as time went on, he must have got a different revelation because he ended up marrying the two people. So his convictions couldn't have been that great in the first place whenever he ended up uh, performing their marriage ceremony. I was listening to another man recently and he says he, he got a revelation from God that he was going to go and tell such and such a minister it's time for you to retire. Dear friend, if God's ever going to tell a man to retire, he'll tell him himself. But this is what the world's full of today. This is what so many Christians are looking up to. A man who seems to be so spiritual, he gets special revelations from God. But dear friend, it's all nonsense. It was nonsense here in 1 Kings 13. And it's nonsense today as well. Don't be deceived. The man of God was deceived. We're not to be those who are easily, or not to be those who are deceived at all. But then notice this man's disobedience. Verse 19 says, so he went back with him. God had given him an instruction Go, bring the message to Jeroboam. Don't stop, don't turn in. Come straight back a different way. When did God change this instruction? Where's the prayer from this man of God to see if this is still the will of God? Why did he believe that God had given another man a revelation about his life? With very little thought, he disobeys God. He was prepared for the dangers of Jeroboam. He had prepared himself that that was going to be difficult and tricky. And he was on his guard. But he wasn't expecting a wolf in sheep's clothing to come along and trick him. Quite often we can survive the great trials in life. But it's the little ones that catch us out. This man is on the homeward journey. He's done the hard part. Face Jeroboam. He's now left the northern kingdom, heading back to Judah. He's thinking, it's a smooth ride home from here. And that's when the devil comes. And that's when the devil attacks him. Whenever he's at his weakest point, thinking, well, I can breathe a sigh of relief. I don't need to be as much in prayer going back as I was on the way there. I can just take it easy. I can let my mind wander and think about the things I'm going to do when I get back to my family. And he was disobedient. He went back with his old prophet. Yes, this man of God was tricked and deceived and we can blame the old prophet. But this man of God had God's word to follow and he failed to follow it. And who does God hold responsible for this? He doesn't blame the old prophet. He holds this man of God responsible. He says, I give you my word and you didn't follow it. You disobeyed it. You shouldn't have turned back. Maybe this man of God thought, well, maybe this isn't so important, a duty that God has given to me. 
And sometimes we can do that, can't we? We can nearly prioritize the duties that God has given to us. And we can say, well, as long as I'm at uh, church faithfully, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, it'll not matter so much maybe if I, if I, if I skip a few of my quiet times at home. Perhaps he thought lightly of God's command. Maybe he thought, surely God won't be angry at me for this. I'm just turning in and getting a little bit of food and a little bit of drink. Uh, Is this really such a bad thing? Will God really punish me and chastise me for doing this? And certainly that's a prevailing thought in the hearts of many Christians today. It's only a little, a little lie. It's only a little bit of gossiping. It's only a little bit of recreation on the Sabbath day. I had a friend, and he wasn't a believer. In fact, we grew up together. And before I was converted, we we run with the world together. And the Lord saved me, and as yet hasn't saved him. But whenever he was out playing golf, he wouldn't do it with me, but he would do it with other people. He would always have a bet, a gamble as to who would come first. But he had a very strange rule. He wouldn't gamble on the Lord's Day. He would play golf on the Lord's Day, but he wouldn't gamble on the Lord's Day. As if... Well, let me explain the golf, okay. Dear friend, we're told to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. Once we bring these words, I think, into our Christian life, we're in trouble doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the word of God says. And we have to live in obedience to it. Before the council of the Jewish leaders and the high priests. Who were the old prophets of the New Testament times. The old prophet from our passage today. Acts 5.29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said. We ought to obey God rather than men. Could have been so easy. For Peter and the other apostles to say, well, look who these men are. They've risen the ranks. He's the high priest. Look at the garments he's wearing. Look at the house that he lives in. Who am I really? But Peter and the apostles had the word of God. And dear friend, that's what we have today. And we don't need to turn to the left or to the right. We just need to believe the word. John says in 1 John 4 verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And just because somebody calls themselves a Christian or calls themselves a minister, doesn't mean that they're God's man. Doesn't mean that they're a man of God. There's a minister in Edinburgh in the Church of Scotland and he denies more of the Bible than he believes. He's, he's a terrible heretic. But whenever you tell him that, he, he gets quite upset for some reason. Regarding Moses meeting God on Mount Sinai, this is what he said. We make an error if we read such ancient stories as history. He denies that as being history. Moses meeting God on Mount Sinai. Speaking of the existence of Abraham... He says it's almost certainly not centered on a historical character. He's just denying the word of God. And he's a man who's given over to embracing every other faith than he is biblical Christianity. 
And yet people see somebody standing in a pulpit and they think, well, he must be teaching the truth. But the man of God is somebody who's not to be disobedient. You need, dear friends, a man who will stand here and not give his own thoughts, his own interpretations. A man who will divide the word of truth. And for you to know if that man has been faithful, you must know the Bible yourself. We must be obedient in studying the word. But then fifthly and finally here tonight, let us think of the death of the man of God. Verse 24 says, A lion met him by the way. Oh, this man wasn't excused because he was deceived by another person. The Lord gave him his word, and this man of God was faithful in maybe three quarters of the task. He was faithful in the hardest moments, but on the easy journey home, he let his guard down. And many Christians let their guard down on the easy journey home. They listen to God's word through the storms, through the dangerous times, the difficult times, the times of temptation. But when many of life's trials are past, they relax and they set themselves at ease. Think of Noah. He was a preacher of righteousness. He saw the ark built, saw his family brought in. But what did he do when he was safe on the other side of the flood? Planted a vineyard. And ended up drunk. And so it can be. Many Christians can think well. I saw my family brought up. I have saw them saved. I have been faithful in. Going along to church. Been faithful as a Christian for so many years. Maybe I don't need to have, be so strict or as firm as I once was. Maybe I can be a bit more tolerant. A bit more Understanding, a bit more sympathetic. Well, dear friend, if we turn away from the word of God at all, we've backslidden. This man of God, he had a word from the Lord, he turned away from it. And the Lord didn't excuse it, he didn't ignore it, no, he visited him with chastisement. He ended his journey. Surely the words that you and I want to be able to say at the end of our course in life are the words of Paul I have fought a good fight I have finished my course I have kept the faith how is it with us today I don't know your heart but maybe in the secret place of our own souls tonight there's one who's maybe saying that I've done what the man of God did. I've turned aside. I've gone back with the old prophet. The Lord has given the word. He's given me commandments to keep. For my good. For my sanctification. But I haven't kept them. Dear friend. There's a lesson from this man of God for us here tonight. There's a lesson for the man of God you need for your pulpit. You need a man who's faithful in his duty. A man who's diligent. A man who'll not be deceived himself and he'll not deceive you. And a man who's not disobedient. But that's also the type of person we need to be as well. And may God give us the grace to do so this evening. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank thee tonight.
that we are able to come and study the word. And Lord, we do pray that thou will make thy word that nail in a sure place to our souls. We do pray that thou will speak to us and minister to us tonight. Let us not be those who depart from thy word. Help us to be faithful and obedient. Help us, Lord, to uh, study thy word, to show ourselves approved unto God. And help us to be those who keep thy word within our hearts. And even as we've been thinking tonight about the man of God, and we've been thinking about the needs of this congregation, we pray that thou will have a man of God for this place, a man who will give himself continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We pray, Father, that you will cause the gospel to go forth from this place week by week with power, that, Lord, thou will give a man a clear calling here, and that thou will give the people a heart for that man. O Lord, in this day, we're not looking for entertainers in the pulpit. We're not looking for those who can win people with their jokes or win people with their singing. Lord, we pray, give us men who know nothing but the word, who know nothing but the preaching of the word. And Lord, we pray that in the days that lie ahead, this building will be too small to contain all the people that the Lord would bring in. I pray, Heavenly Father, for thy spirit to fall mightily upon this place, that even this Sabbath day we will see souls coming in to sit in the pew and to sit under the preaching of the word. We pray for thy spirit to take hold of men and women and to convict them and to convert them and to make them born again. Do remember our families, Lord. We think of those tonight who are heavy upon our hearts. Those, Father, who are still walking that broad road. And Lord, we commit them unto thee. Praying for thy grace in their souls. Praying that thou will awaken them. That thou will save them. Do remember, Father, our missionaries tonight. Those who are faithfully taking the word to the heathen, to the lost. We pray that thou will cause the gospel to flourish in those places. Think of this dear lady Ruth as she crosses the West Bank to go in to uh, Palestine. We do pray that thou will keep thy protecting hand upon her. But we pray most of all that thou will cause the gospel that flows from her lips and her hands to have free course in the hearts of those Arabs. And that thou will call many of them to faith in thyself. So Lord be with us now as we wait on before thee. And pardon our many sins, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.